Again, thank you for the promise of your Spirit who teaches us. I pray that now he will illumine our understanding and grant clarity to me and reinforce our commitment and belief uh, in the literal uh, orderly account of Genesis 1. For Christ's sake, amen. As Pastor said, well, I began uh, Friday night with an uh, overview of Genesis chapter 1 to show you positively uh, what I think that the Spirit is saying to us there. And we can just summarize that with the words of our catechism that God made all things out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days. So it were six normal days in the order that God reveals. But because of the claims, first of geology in the 1830s, and then of uh, evolution and the very arrogant claims of scientists, reformed theologians began to uh, compromise on the doctrine of creation. Before 1830, from the Reformation forward, so that would be, say, approximately uh, 330 years, there was no reformed theologian or pastor, orthodox, who believed anything other than six normal day of creation. Uh, as uh, theologians began to defend the Bible, uh, well, science says that this is, and this is true. We've got to protect God. We've got to protect the Bible. So we've got to go back now and reinterpret Genesis 1. But that's a different attitude, say... Um, if Copernicus and Galileo, when they came with their theories, they actually both, uh, particularly uh, Copernicus, I might mix them up, based his stuff on exegesis as well. He was a godly man. He in no way thought that he was contradicting the Bible. Now, when something in the culture comes up, um, it's not wrong for us to go back and make sure that we have understood the Bible. 
But we should do that with a great deal of humility, particularly when the Bible has been understood in a certain way uh, by the best theologians for uh, 300 years. But it's not improper to go back, and we did that. I took you briefly through that uh, Friday night. And then we looked at the, uh, uh, some of the theories that are set forth uh, within Reformed Presbyterian churches, uh, three of which have been made acceptable by uh, the Presbyterian Church in America General Assembly in response to its study committee. Um, but what I want to do this morning is reinforce the interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 by looking at what the rest of the Bible says about creation. Actually, Jack Collins, who teaches a view against the literal understanding, said we should assume that competent readers in the culture have a leg up on us when it comes to deciding between competing interpretations. Thus it matters a great deal how later biblical authors use earlier authors' material. Amen. But you know, they're not doing that. The Bible, uh, let me go there quickly, uh, quite yet. I think that this doctrine and literal interpretation of Genesis 1 is probably the most testified truth to in all the rest of the Bible. Now, of course, the sovereignty of God is page after page, but uh, distinct doctrines, there's much more evidence of this than, say, for the Trinity, for substitutionary atonement. This is uh, a doctrine that God went at great lengths first to state it very clearly, and then to reinforce it through the rest of the Scripture. So uh, we're going to put on your track shoes, because we'll have to do this fairly quickly. But uh, I want to give you a number of general arguments, and then quickly show you how each day also is referred to in the rest of Scripture. In the first place, the Bible in many other places interprets Genesis 1 as describing specific, discrete Events, not progressive events, not uh, evolutionary events, but uh, instantaneous, immediate, supernatural creation. We'll look in a minute at Psalm 33, 6 through 9, but here's a number of other references Isaiah 32, 48, 51, Jeremiah 32, Revelation 4:11, Acts 14, John 1, Nehemiah 9, Amos 4, Hebrews 11. And Psalm 146-148. These are just some of the passages. Over the last couple of years, in my own Bible reading, I've kept a, uh, a notebook on my phone of uh, every reference in the rest of the Scripture uh, to uh, creation. And the list is unbelievably long. I challenge you to do that as you read uh, through uh, the Bible. The Bible also confirms the order of the days. We saw that this morning. Or you'll see it in the next hour in Job 38. Even though it's a poetic account, it follows the order of the first four days of creation. And of course, we noticed this week in the divine commentary in Exodus uh, 30, uh, 20, 
uh, enforcing the Sabbath. For in six days God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. There's the order of six uh, leading to seven. Third, the Bible takes at face value the fiat and fulfillment nature of creation. If you were here Monday night, uh, or Friday night, there's eight commandments. We call them the eight fiats. God said, let there be. Uh, and then there are statements of fulfillment. And there was, or it was so. And the only time you don't have those statements is when the Hebrew word that we'll look at in the moment, barrage, used, which is such a powerful statement of supernatural creation that it implies that it was so. So the Bible reinforces this. Um, by the word of the Lord, Psalm 33, that. Uh, heavens were made by the breath of his mouth all their host for he spoke and it was done now what is that a reference to God said let there be and there was the psalmist says he spoke and it was done Christ himself used this little phrase from the beginning like in the beginning to refer to the time of the institution of marriage in Matthew 19.4, Mark 10.6. Now this suggests that God made man chronologically close to the events of Genesis. The phrase, from the beginning or in the beginning, is a linguistic tag to Genesis 1, which is a doctrinal statement of God's eternity. God is, and then things began by the commandment of God. Now Christ is clearly saying that in the beginning... Marriage was established. If the sixth day, which itself would have been uh, indefinitely super long period of time, and marriage was instituted at the end of the sixth day, that's a long ways from the beginning to say that marriage was instituted. This is the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ about uh, creation, and He is the Creator. So again, you ought to know. Or as the pastor pointed out yesterday when we were talking, uh, the Bible clearly states the age of Adam, 900 and something years. But if he was made sometime in this indefinitely long, super long, thousand or whatever period of time of the sixth day, when did his years begin to get measured? Uh, You had to have an ending of the sixth day for Adam's age begin to be measured in terms of years. So, there's all these references back. Now, I want to talk about the word bara. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created. And that is this Hebrew word bara. As I said over the weekend, when God is the subject of this word, it always refers to supernatural acts of God. Always. Moses uses the word four times in a very emphatic way in Genesis 1 1 through 2 3. We have what is called in Hebrew grammar an inclusio. The account begins with Barah in 1 1, it ends with Barah in 2 3. This word of supernatural works of God is used by the Holy Spirit as the bookends for the whole account. Then it's used 
on day five for the creation of the birds and the fish. As I said over the weekend, that's because this was the major shift. Genesis 1.1, God created all the inanimate things except angels. Uh, they were also created. But now on day five is the first animate creatures. And so barrage used again. To, again, grammatically, it shows a shift. And of course we come to man. And uh, it's used now because all the different words of creation have used to man. Barah, the word made, uh, asa, and then the word form that we'll come to in a minute, yatsah, to emphasize the uniqueness of man as the image of God. And then it concludes that God created the heavens and the earth and all their hosts. That word barrage used again. Well, here in the rest of Scripture, uh, days 1 through 4, Psalm 138, barrage used. Heavenly host, Isaiah 40, 26. Heaven and earth, day 2, Isaiah 42, 5. Earth, man, heaven, Isaiah 45, 12. Darkness, Isaiah 45, 7. Heavens and earth, Isaiah 45, 18. North and south, the whole magnetic field, Psalm 89, 12. Wind, Amos 4, 13. Just a few instances of the use of Barah going back to the specific things of Genesis chapter 1. See, there's no room there for progressive development. These are instantaneous acts caused by the Word of God who created. I mentioned other supernatural works. Regeneration. This word is used. Psalm 51.10. The Shekinah cloud and glory. Isaiah 4 verses... uh, uh, verse 5, the church, uh, Isaiah 41.20 and 43.1, the new heavens and new earth, Isaiah 65.17, works of providence, Psalm 10 and Isaiah 5. This is Barah. It's overwhelming. You can do this this afternoon. Get your concordance and look up create and then look, it will give you the Hebrew Barah and look at all the ways it is used. By itself, that should convince us that what we have in Genesis chapter 1 is a supernatural act of God done exactly as he commanded. Now this is reinforced by the Greek word ketizo. You know that the uh, Old Testament was translated into Greek and Alexandria, Egypt. And in that process, uh, God prepared uh, the Greek language for the New Testament. Well, Barah is translated by this word Ketizo, it's used exactly the same way. Uh, excuse me, uh, yeah. Mark 13, 19, the beginning of the creation which God created. Ephesians 3, 9, He created all things. Colossians 1, 16, all things in heaven and on earth. What does all things on heaven and earth mean? That God created some things? That maybe God created uh, the angels and man? Or does that mean all things? Depends on what it is, is, huh? Food, 1 Timothy 4.3. And we'll come back. Revelation 4.11. Beautiful statement about God's creation of all things. 10.6. The heaven, the earth, the sea. Mark 16.15. All creatures. So this is Barah with this New Testament equivalent, Katizo. Let the Scriptures speak. Let God speak through the Scriptures. Remember the questions from Job 38. Were you there? Do you know? Oh, tell me about it. 
Now, the second word that's used, and this is used in Genesis 2-7, uh, for God forming man, the word is yatsar. We get the Greek word plasso, plastic, that which is molded. It is the molder, the potter. Genesis 2, 7 and 8, man, created by God, who yatsar is the potter, uh, from the dust of the earth. Now, is that a hominid? You know what a hominid is? That's one of those uh, distant cousins of yours that evolved into a human being. And if there are people now in our denomination that teach that, and they say, well, God put a soul into him, dust is dust. Dust is not a, a metaphor for a grown-up ape. And at dust, we don't turn back to hominids, we turn back to dust. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Beast of the field. But then Psalm 95.5, the dry land, object of Yatsar. We know Genesis 1 tells us that it was God who divided the earth from the sea and created dry land. Isaiah 45.7, light and darkness, products of Yatsar. 45.18, earth. And here we have uh, the word also create and made used here. So all three of the words used in Genesis 1, particularly used for the creation of man, are used here for the creation of the earth. And then 1 Timothy 2.3, plasso is used uh, for creation as well. Now, we've alluded to this, but Psalm 104 is a poetic commentary on Genesis 1. And it also follows the order of the days. Now, what the psalmist does there, because as we again saw Friday night, God created with purpose, he'll introduce along the way the purposes of of these various things in creation. And so he, he shows providentially what God does with them, but he still follows the order of the days. And you can look at that on your own. Okay. Now before we look at the biblical references for each day, are there any questions about what we just sped through? Or further comments? got time, I think I can give you a um, quotation from Noel Weeks about Psalm 104, if I have it. Others, I, I've mentioned uh, the other Hebrew word as well, uh, asa, and the Greek word poeo. That's also used, God made. And when you take these three terms together, created, made, formed, the impression is unmistakable. It is indelible. A little bit more on Psalm 104. In the earlier part of the psalm, emphasis is on creation as a display of God's glory and his servant. And the parallels are day 1, verse 2, day 2, verse 2b and 3, day 3, verses 5 through 18. He talks about what we referred to this morning, the waters standing above the mountains at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place which you established for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys 
They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. He moves into the uh, providential parts. Um, Day 4, verses 19 through 23. Day 5, verses 24 through uh, 26. So, uh, you see here how it follows the order, uh, even though it's a poetic account, it follows the exact order. The Bible testifies to the discrete, specific events. It testifies to the order of those events, which is the big thing that's called into question today by the non-literal. There there are three uh, views. The the day-age view, which follows the order. Uh, It was trying to make it consistent with science, claims of science. But unfortunately, the order of Genesis 1 and the order of evolution and the, quote, uh, fossil record isn't the same. And so... um, Day age doesn't satisfy anybody, nor does creative, progressive creation or theistic evolution. So the other approach is, well, forget about order. We've got two literary devices, either framework or analogical, and the order is only a means of revelation. To get across the fact that God is the creator, he establishes a pattern of work and rest, and we're to follow that pattern. But see, rest of Scripture affirms the order, not just the discrete uh, events of, of creation. Well, next thing that I want to show you is how each day is also testified to as the specific work of God. Talked about the eight fiat acts. Now let's see what Scripture says. Day one. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, Paul refers to the creation of light as a specific creative act. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light also. We see in in Job 38, uh, the creation of angels, which I think took place on day one as well. Isaiah 45.7 refers uh, to Barah connection. Day two. Now remember day one was the initial creation. So you would have the dwelling place of God where he graciously reveals his presence. You then would have the creation of angels and you have the uh, creation of the whole stuff out of nothing from which God would make everything else. And you have the beginning of the forming of that stuff then with the creation of light uh, separating light from darkness. Day two, well, day two is the separation of the waters. Psalm 102, 25 and 26. Of old you founded the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands. Isaiah 40, 22. It's he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who, referring to God, stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Isaiah 42.5, again, Barah, who created the heavens and stretched them out. Did God do the work of day two? Did God divide the waters from the waters and create the firmament? That's what God says, isn't it? In Psalm 102, Isaiah 40, and Isaiah 42. Well, God did two things on day three. He divided the waters from the dry land and created the seas and the dry land. And uh, then out of that, he brought forth uh, vegetation. 
So the first act, the separation of land and water, Peter refers to the specific events of the third day. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. Now notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And repeat, if you wish, by the word of God, the earth was formed out of water and by water. Did Peter know what he was talking about? Did Peter write without error? The word of God separated the waters from the dry land and created the dry land. We saw that in Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9. We'll see it this morning, if you've not doing this already, in Job 38, 8 through 11. And then the vegetation. Day 3, second part. Psalm 104, 30 shows the direct operation of the Spirit necessary to renew the ground. John Owen has a great uh, statement in his work of the Holy Spirit from Psalm 104, how every spring when trees begin to bud and and, uh, flowers bloom and, and, and grass starts growing, that that's not simply some natural law. That is the Holy Spirit actively rejuvenating. Now, if he is active, that's what it says. The Spirit moves across the face of ground. If he does that, then he's not also the one that initially made these things. Meredith Klein wants us to think that it was ordinary providence. Well, ordinary providence demanded the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit every spring. Does it not demand the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in this creation? Our Job 38.27. To satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make seeds of grass to sprout. This is a reference to God as Creator. Day four, we know, is the creation of the heavenly bodies. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 74, 16 and 17. Yours is the day, yours also is the night. You've prepared the light and the sun. You've established the boundaries of the earth. You've made summer and winter. Does the Bible testify that God, again by His Word, created the heavenly bodies? There wasn't some big bang that threw these things out in space and they began to develop. They were made by the Word of God. They were placed in their place by the Word of God. They're held in place by the Word of God because the Bible says that Christ by His Word holds all things together. Day 5. We have the um, uh, fish and fowl. Psalm 104. O Lord, how many are your works and wisdom? You've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea great and broad in which are swarms without number. Animals both small and great. So I'm sea animals. There the ships move along. And the Leviathan, which you form to sport in. Now we're going to talk about the Leviathan tonight. And youngsters, I'm going to answer by God's grace one of the most puzzling and interesting questions you've ever asked your school teacher or your parents. So be sure you're here tonight to learn about the Leviathan. Psalm 8. Birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Did God do these discrete events on day 5? Where is room for progression? 
Where there's room for evolution. And how is there room for any other approach to Genesis 1 but literal, chronological, normal day creation? And of course, land animals. We don't even have to go there. Genesis 2.19 reiterates that they were formed by God. And that's that word Yatsar. Jeremiah 27.5. Psalm 8.7. And of course, man made in the image of God. One man made from the dust of the ground with a soul supernaturally given to him by God. Genesis 2.7. One woman made from the rib of a man at the end of Genesis chapter 2. And they are the head of the human race. Not the head of a tribe, as some reformed people now want to allow. They're not the uh, development of hominids and this prayer was selected out of all the others uh, and made special. No, they were created in this manner by God and Scripture testifies to that time and again. And as we saw yesterday morning, there's so much theology that uh, is contingent upon this truth. In fact, one of you was sharing with me at the, after the morning service when he was at Gordon College and uh, uh, a lady teacher was setting forth his evolution. It's a Christian college and so a student raises his hand and simply says, well, if this is true, well, where, did, where did sin come from? She never thought about it. She was a Christian teaching at a Christian college of biology. Never thought about the relationship of what she was teaching to sin, its development, its imputation. And if Adam wasn't a real person, but the Bible compares Christ to Adam as the second covenant head, what does that do then to that imputation and to uh, the atonement? You see, it is a powerful, pervasive doctrine taught from beginning to end in Scripture. Now Psalm 148, as I've already shown you, declares this very close relationship of creation and providence. And that's what your catechism testifies to, that God executes His decrees and His works of creation and providence. There are two distinct acts. So the creation of God is dealt with, taking place in those seven days, at which point God now governs and sustains and preserves Everything that he made, and he does it supernaturally. Now, he uses second causes. He uses means. But as that confession has that great statement, he also can act above, against, or without means. This is why there's no big deal about miracles. God wants to work above a means and make uh, water into some really good wine. You get to drink that wine in heaven, you think? Uh, against means, cause an axe head to come up out of the water. Or apart from means, by word, raise the dead. That just shows that God is the one who works in all providence. Do we expect more of Him supernaturally in providence than we would in creation? No, you, to have a proper view of providence, I think it's Calvin who says you must have a proper view of creation. It's the Creator who does these things. And of course, the house of cards. If we begin to explain away six-day creation, 
And why don't we explain away the rest of the supernatural acts of providence and make them consistent with uh, the claims of uh, scientists. We won't say science. Science isn't personified. Scientists make claims. They want to hide behind the aura of a um, culturally given authority. Uh, They put on their pants just like the rest of us or their dresses. And they do good work sometimes. We're not a creationist is not anti-science, anti-scientist. Um, the Creation Research Society, the Creation Group in Atlanta, the uh, Creation Institute for Creation Studies, all have PhD scientists on their faculty and in adjunct positions working with them, doing brilliant work. There's a man in England. Uh, who teaches there is one from the BBC, a teacher of the Warner UHS University, has done the foremost work on the bombardier beetle, which is a beetle that actually can spit out gases almost at boiling temperature. And he simply shows how that beetle never could have evolved. Absolutely physically, scientifically impossible. Or at the uh, University of South Carolina, up in the upstate, not in Columbia, uh, Danny Faulkner an astrophysicist uh, doing phenomenal work on, uh, on the universe. These guys are six-day creationists. Uh, the guy with the Creation Institute working on Mount St. Helens has demonstrated factually because now you can observe what happened at Mount St. Helens. You can measure uh, the explosions. You can go to the water and find the three types of levels of trees that uh, scientists have claimed took billions of years. Happened in two weeks. And he can show it, you see. Because now he's dealing with something with which science can deal. He's dealing with the realities that are observable. So there's this close relationship of creation and providence. And then just kind of the uh, cream on top, the genres of literature. In the Bible, we've got these different genres of literature. So we've got the historical books, the political books, the prophetic books, the three major sources of the Old Testament, Gospels, Acts, Epistles, Revelation, the four in the New Testament. All of these bear witness to the literal account interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. So we can take Jack Collins. Yes, let's let the rest of the Bible speak. Let's let us understand what the people of those 2,000 years would have, would have understood. And that simply enforces what we understand today. All right. I've never done that that fast before. So we have time for questions. Either from the weekend, this morning's sermon. Just plug up your ears if you weren't there. Or this morning. Okay. Um, you're probably most familiar with Answers in Genesis. They have a phenomenal uh, selection of resources from uh, non-reader preschoolers right up through uh, scientists. They do a great job with print and with video. You just go online, uh, Answers in Genesis. Uh, the group in Atlanta, I always get their name wrong, International. 
Creation International Ministries, Sam or Kim. And um, they also uh, have many resources. Uh, we've had Jonathan Safardi, who heads that group, uh, do a thing with me at the seminary for one of our summer institutes. He's probably uh, one of the most brilliant men on the face of the earth. He's not just a, a specialized scientist. He, you ask him a question about any of the realms of science, and he's going to give you a, uh, an honest, uh, intelligent answer. Uh, to that question. I'd have my dictionary out trying to figure out what the question is, you know, and he's just rattling off the answer. And then the um, Institute for Creation Research started in California. They were the first, uh, and uh, Morris started that group, and now his two sons, I think, run it. They've moved to Dallas to get a little more central uh, in America. They're doing the same thing. Uh, The guy that's doing the work on Mount St. Helens works with them. And I did a conference with him at a Reformed Baptist Church in Medford. I think the first year I was at Greenville Seminary. Just great stuff. But you also, you know, as parents, and here, you know, you've got homeschooling and a Christian school that are teaching. But, you know, you, you can hardly send your kid today to a Christian college and expect them to be taught creation. And that's very sad. Um... So they've got to be well equipped uh, before uh, they go. And I, I said to my children, because uh, they went through Christian school all the way through 12th grade, I said, you know, you don't need to go to a Christian college. I'm ready to go to a college where's a good church in town. Um, that's much more important. You know how to think. Now, let's be sure that you're under the proper means of grace. But there's uh, hardly, you know, I don't know of a Reformed Presbyterian school that I could, at this point, recommend. I have, for for that reason, I have, I mean, Patrick Henry and Grove City are great schools and are top of my list. But um, uh, they they would have on their faculty uh, non-six-day creationists as well. Let's close with prayer and then, you might mention the books out there. Okay. Uh, what a book table and uh, some creation books some of my books and then some other things of current interest some books on Islam some books on the confession of faith uh, some coffee mugs so you won't mess up the church building uh, drinking your coffee I thought that was against the rules anyway I was told to leave mine outside but, uh, actually I was told I had special dispensation but there's nothing special about it as I've observed you but anyway um, we won't sell those today. It's just uh, Jonathan's back there to take care of the table. He'll give you a sheet. Just uh, sign your name and which book you took and give us your address. And we then will uh, send you a bill. If we're out of a book you want, we've left them on the table. Uh, you can order the book and get it in the same way. Uh, and then there's some material there about the seminary. Your church supports the seminary. Uh, and we appreciate that. But we need you as individuals also to support the work of the seminary. If you're committed to uh, these things as well as the regular principle and, and reformed preaching and pastoring, well, we need your help. We've got a special attempt this year to, to raise an extra $200,000 because we've got two new faculty members coming on and regular budget increases would be greatly strained. And so we need new donors. And uh, so... If you'd like to learn more about us, there's a sign-up sheet out there. And 
Also, prospective students, we need to get you guys uh, who are here at RUF to uh, come to seminary and uh, prepare to uh, serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name and thank you that you've not spoken in any unclear manner. You've told us clearly what you did and how you did it and when you did it. And we praise your name. We long to see a day when your people shall humbly bow before you and confess, no, we were not there. No, we did not understand. No, we don't have the power or the wisdom. Cause us to believe these truths, to be able winsomely, but intelligently and biblically, uh, to defend the scriptures. And continue to raise up in our day uh, believing scientists who will do good work that will be based upon your revelation. As most of us will now go to worship. We pray that your spirit will prepare us to come into your presence. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.